0: Beautiful community of listeners and welcome to episode 23 of Creativity Lives Here, a podcast designed to support you with tapping into your peak creative potential. As I'm recording this, I am looking out at the first signs of spring cropping up, which I'm so excited about. I can see little flowers and plants are starting to shoot up, which is so beautiful and special. I'm a spring baby, so I think I'm particularly excited whenever I can feel spring starting to happen. I feel like there's always such a beautiful energy of newness and freshness in the air. And I notice how when I start to feel that feeling of spring in the air, the days getting warmer, the birds chirping, the sun coming out, I notice how that feeling also has such an inspirational and fueling effect on my creativity. So this is just a really special time of year for me and I'm excited. So lately, I've been speaking a lot about how how we feel in our bodies is directly correlated to our ability to tap into our peak creative potential. And it's been really cool because kind of organically, the last few guests have all been individuals who are very connected to their bodies, have created careers that focus on the body. Like Vanessa, the professional ballet dancer who was on last week's episode and a couple of weeks ago, Sardé was on the podcast and she's a personal trainer and wellness coach. And I actually didn't plan for this, just like I didn't plan for today's episode. But today's guest, Akash Vagela, is also all about using the physical as a vehicle to transform your life. Akash is an author, entrepreneur, and educator who spent the last 10 years transforming lives around the world. And in May 2017, he founded R&T Fitness to serve this purpose. His vision is to see a world where everyone experiences the power of the physical as the vehicle to unlock their potential and do something remarkable in their lives. He's the author of the book Transform Your Body, Transform Your Life, and the host of the RT Fitness Radio podcast, where he talks with his team, students, and industry experts all about the truth of transformation and striving for that extra 1% growth. So, this is all so in line with what I've been speaking about lately, which is really cool. And speaking with Akash was absolutely fascinating. On the one hand, he has created this incredible company that has already transformed over a thousand lives. And on the other, you'll find when you listen to him that he has this really intimate and beautiful connection with his creative process. And he shares all sorts of beautiful insights on how he taps into his peak creative potential. So I'm really looking forward to sharing today's conversation with you. And something kind of funny about today's conversation is that I'm sure you've noticed if you've listened to a number of the interviews on this podcast, at the end, I normally ask the question, What does creativity mean to you? And that's normally after the guest offers their answer to the question, that's normally where the episodes end. But in this case, after Akash had finished answering the question, He turned it back to me, um, which was cool. It was a little bit of an in-the-moment challenge for me to share very spontaneously what creativity means to me. And we actually ended up having um, a really lovely few minutes of conversation after he asked me that question. And some really beautiful nuggets still came out of our conversation after. So I just decided to leave it in. So you're going to just enjoy a few moments of spontaneous conversation at the end of this episode which is a little extra treat for you. And before we dive in, I also still want to give a huge shout out to my friend Rafael Corkhill, the wonderful actor who has already been on this podcast. I'm also going to link his episode in the show notes. It's thanks to Rafael that I was made aware of Akasha's work, Rafael thought that Akash might be a nice guest for the show. And I'm so glad he did, because this was an absolutely wonderful conversation. So thank you so much, Rafael. I really appreciate it. Well, with that said, let's dive into this inspiring conversation with Akash (laughs) Vagela.
1: So I, I always, I always think back to uh, when I was anywhere between fifteen and seventeen, and I was pretty much destined down a path of becoming a lawyer. Uh, my father's a lawyer, and in our culture, doing anything except for being a lawyer, a doctor, or someone in finance is seen as a little bit strange. So for me, the obvious path was always to follow my father's footsteps. And whilst he he never put any pressure on me to do so, it just felt like the right thing to do to follow in his footsteps, and. In that process, I, I tailored all my subjects towards what could law, what a law degree would uh, entail. Um, I spent a lot of time doing work experience around the world. So I did, I did some in Mumbai with some family friends who are a law firm there. I did some in uh, Aachen in Germany and, uh, and then a couple of stints in London. And it wasn't until uh, around the age of probably 16, maybe 17, I was uh, with a friend of mine at school and he said he just started going to the gym and we had a we had a school gym there and he said to me oh you should come along and I was like no I don't want to waste my time going to the gym and he said well you know you're you're interested in that girl and this is a really good way to to (laughs) to attract the girls and you know you're at that age you think if that's going to work then yeah that's probably a good good solution (laughs) so I I went along with him to the gym and everything just changed from that moment because I I just fell in love with the iron. I just fell in love with the feeling that you get from, from training. And from then on, all my spare time was either training, uh, talking about training, reading about it, researching, just deep diving all the time around health, fitness, everything in that whole realm. And then in, in, there was a summer, uh, I think between uh, just before you applied for university and I thought, let me go and spend some time at my, the, the firm that my dad works at, uh, the law firm there. So I spent two weeks there and I finished those two weeks and I was like, I'm never doing this for my career. There's no way I'm going to be uh, a lawyer. And whilst I, lo- I was only doing things which an intern would do, and whilst I was only, I wasn't actually being a lawyer, the culture, the, the work itself, the topics just weren't interested in And all I could like think about was health and fitness. And then we were in a careers class, um, supposedly meant to be uh, writing our personal statements. And the friend who took me to the gym about maybe a year, a year, a year and a half ago. Before that, he was writing his statement, and I was next to him. And I was instead of writing my statement, I was reading some article on nutrition. And he was like, "Akash, what are you doing? Why don't you just do something in this? Like all you, all you talk about, all you think about, all you you spend all your time doing this. Why don't you just do something in this?" And I thought, I've never even thought, thought that possibility because it, just like my culture was only designed to. Encourage people to do one of three things. My school was like that as well. There was no real element to creativity or the arts or anything different that wasn't considered "quote unquote" academia. And uh, I did some research and I saw there was something called sport and exercise science, and I thought this is perfect for me. Um, and then the first thing I had to do was go home tell my tell my parents that you know I don't want to do law anymore; I want to do sport and exercise science. And the first thing they said to me was, uh, "How are you going to pay the bills?" And I was like, oh. "I have no idea, but I'll, I'll figure it out somehow." Uh, And then they 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 were skeptical at first. They thought I was just going to be doing star jumps in the back in the in the field uh, all day long. But they realized (laughs) it's a science degree. They realized uh, there was something a bit more to it. And uh, now they're my biggest supporters. So that's that's where it all started from. And then from then, you know, I I went to university, studied sport and exercise, and that's when I began to start training um, some friends of mine. And in that process of training myself and training uh, my friends, I started realizing the power of. Of what I was doing because I was that, when I got to the age of about like 17, 18, I was still that skinny, fat kid with moves in a pot belly. And for me, training and the focus it, it gave me was something I'd not experienced before. And I, and I started feeling more confident. I started feeling I had more control in my day. And I realized I was starting to make better decisions in my life as well. And then I started seeing this in other people. And that's when I realized that the power of what we do isn't just in the physical chain, it, it's actually the vehicle for something so much bigger. And it allows you to excel in, in all the other areas of your life. And then my trajectory after university went to personal training in the city of London uh, for five years. And it was during that time I realized that the typical personal trainer's day uh, starts very early in the morning and ends very uh, late at night. And that's and, and what I started seeing is people around me having kids, having families. And I, was, and I saw them coming in bleary eyes, never seeing their kids. And I thought to myself, while what I'm doing is great right now, is it sustainable for the future? So I made the decision to go online in 2017 uh, and I started my company. And And ever since then, we, we you know, we now impact people all over the world. And, and we focus on using the physical change as the vehicle to achieve something remarkable and unlock uh, real growth potential in people's lives.
0: Such an incredible story. And, um, it's also really incredible that you built this company about three years ago and you've already come so far with it. Um, I mean, I've, I've looked at your website and you've impacted thousands of people, right?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a remarkable journey. I think what's, what's really hit home for a lot of people is we're talking about the focus on the physical in a different way. Because the industry and the the society is obsessed with the aesthetic element and the tangible, physical change you can see. But what we've really told the story on is the things that happen that you can't see. You can't see the growth that happens in someone internally or intangibly that may be impacting them on a mental, emotional, social, spiritual level. You can't track these things. But that's the story we're telling. And it's that story that's bringing people into, into our realm and thinking, actually, I can achieve a bit more in my life than I am at the moment if I could just take care of myself, because ultimately the only thing we have in, our, in this world is, is our physical body and our physical body is what carries ourself. And in order to act in order to activate ourself to work at its its max potential, we have to have the the carrier, the body in the best possible condition. And that's why I believe that everyone owes it to themselves to take care of themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and to learn as much as they can about, self-care and how to do it properly because it's it's such an important skill that we aren't taught as a kid, uh, even at work. It's only when usually something bad happens in your life or you have a trigger moment where it's like, Oh my God, like, when did I let go of myself? When did I stop caring about myself? But the reality is most of us are living in our, in our so-called glorious in the worst possible shape. When, if we, if we could, if we could maximize our physical potential, we could use this period of time to a level that we can't even imagine right now and that's that's what we're all about what we do
0: I so agree with that and I often think about like if we start with this kind of approach to taking care of our physical selves sooner I'm curious to what extent we can move beyond the boundaries of like looking a certain way or feeling a certain way at a specific age I feel like In many ways right now, like we're taught that, oh yeah, you know, when you're 40, you're going to look like this and you're going to feel like this. And when you're 60, you're going to look like this. And when you're 80, your things are going to start going downhill. But I'm really curious, like with this kind of approach that you teach, if we can actually challenge those things, what do you think about that?
1: Totally. I think trapped in a cycle and we're trapped in a cycle believing that we have to do certain things at certain times and that certain things will happen at certain times. But when we start thinking about it in a different way, when we start taking our control of our bodies first, then it gives you that new lens to start thinking in a different way. And you can start challenging these beliefs. Actually, no, I'm 40 years old. I don't need to be at my decline. Oh, I'm 60. That doesn't mean I can't be in shape. You know, last year, my, my parents got into the shape of their lives and they decided to finally, and it felt like it was in full circle. I was 10 years in the industry last year for me, it marked 10 years and it was in this year that my parents finally said to me, after all these years of me trying, they said to me, I want to join your company and I want to experience what, what everyone else is experiencing. And there was, they turned, my dad turned 60 years old in, in the shape of his life and in in a condition that most 21-year-olds would, would be like gawking at. And he said to me, and this went really home, he said, we were driving and he said, I was having uh, dinner with your mum. It was our 30-something anniversary. And and uh, I said to her, one thing I regret is I didn't take care of myself earlier because if I did, I would have made certain decisions in my life where I didn't get stepped on, where, I didn't, uh, ha- where before I didn't have the confidence to stand up for myself and say no. Because when you take control of yourself and, you, and, you, and you're functioning at your physical best, everything else becomes a lot easier and you, you have the ability to put your foot down. And, and when he said that to me, it really hit home. And it, everything kind of came in full circle from like when I was uh, 10 years ago where they said to me, how are you going to pay the bills? To now seeing yeah. the impact that it's doing all around the world. And so when when you ask that question, I absolutely agree. And and I'm in full alignment with what you're saying and the message you're trying to give.
0: Mm, wow, that's, that's a really moving story. It's beautiful. Um, for the listeners who might be interested in doing your program, what exactly does it look like? um if someone were to work with you
1: so it's interesting on the surface it 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 looks like it looks very simple but the devil's in the details and you have to put in the work the the best way to describe it i would say is it's a learning experience in how to take care of your body and by default you're able to take care of your mind your emotions and everything else you know you'll learn all about how to train effectively you'll learn about nutrition You learn about mindset and how to cultivate a growth mindset. You learn about how to manage your lifestyle. So this doesn't become something you do on and off. It doesn't become and feed that yo-yo cycle that our industries, unfortunately, become known for. Instead, it becomes a way of life. Taking care of yourself, self-care, just becomes a way of being. And it becomes the the way you just live your life. And when you make that integration, which is what we try and teach, that's that's when the magic happens. But you have to be willing to learn and you have to be open-minded to thinking of a new way and playing the long game because in our industry, quick fixes have ruined it. Quick fixes have left people in a perpetual cycle of dieting and body image issues and dysmorphia and all this, the problems that we typically associate with, with, with the fitness world. But if we, can take, if we can change it to actually, instead of just following the plan, instead of just following the orders that someone is giving you or a program is giving you, why don't we actually engage and take ownership and responsibility for what for our self care and our own health why don't we take responsibility for that and learn the tools to stay, to get in shape but more importantly stay in shape learn how to stay in shape for life so you don't have to fall back into the cycle then you can activate that vehicle so for someone who who may want to come get involved it's it's about having that learning mindset to think I want to learn about nutrition, training, lifestyle, mindset, all the things that they didn't teach you at school. So that next time something bad happens in life, instead of turning to fast food, junk, Netflix, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be as a crutch, instead you have a better way of dealing with your life. Because that's what happens with, with most people is when, when, when stuff happens, we fall to our crutches and our devices uh, and our vices and that's where people fall into that perpetual cycle of destruction, of self destruction. So, cultivating that that growth mindset to want to learn about your body and your mind is is the essence of, of what we do. And I fully believe that we all owe it to ourselves to learn that basic education and benefit from all those all all the goodness that can come out of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've actually been reading your book and. One of the things I find so incredible about it is that many of the things you write about go so far beyond what most people think of when they think that they're going to read a, a book about getting in shape. And also going back to what you were just saying about the quick fixes, one of the things that really stood out to me in your book was when you were talking about goals and how they can they can be a little bit problematic because once you reach your goal, you, you kind of think like you're done and you have nowhere else to go, um, but that you should, really, um, you should really think of them more as checkpoints. I believe mm. that's how you, yeah. you phrase it. Um, so I just love that. If you want to speak on that a little bit, I thought that was brilliant.
1: I think goals are overdone and they're overused. And the problem they create is, again, they perpetuate the cycle that we're in. And we constantly think, well, what's next? We get to something, we achieve something. And this is something I've struggled with a lot is you achieve something and you don't even take stock of it. It's just like, okay, I've done that goal. Now the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. And we never actually think about what is it that we're attached to in that goal? What is that goal actually going to give us? And, and which is why I like thinking more in the lines of of just flowing through it and using goals instead of goals, just having shifts along the way where you may shift directions or you may move... You may achieve something at a checkpoint, but then you should another direction. You don't start, from, start again and, and try and achieve some lofty goal, which you think will solve all your problems. But it, ta- it, brings a lot of, it, ta- it adds a lot of pressure to our lives, which I think perpetuates something. We've already got a lot of pressure anyway, and we're adding more pressure with goals and goals and goals, when really, if we can focus on growth, and we can focus on the journey, and we can focus on just being a little bit better, over a period of time, that quest for self mastery will always win because that way you're not attached to the outcome. You're just attached to the process.
0: Yeah. And I think you also end up just enjoying the process of being alive more because, I mean, I've also had the experience so many times that once I reach a goal, while that can be a very fun and exhilarating experience, it's normally very short lived. Um, and really, if you can learn to enjoy every step of the journey, that's where true satisfaction lies.
1: Exactly. We have to fall in love with the journey, and that's that applies to everything. But it's it's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> because we live in such a tangible, I want it now, materialistic obsession.
0: In your blog, you also talk a lot just about your journey as an entrepreneur. So I'm just curious, how does all of this in terms of um, the journey and, and achieving goals, how does that kind of play into some of the reflections you've been having about entrepreneurship?
1: That's a good question. With the, with entrepreneurship, I'm learning more and more that it it has to be about the journey because Mm. else we can really burn ourselves out and we can question what it's all for. Today I wrote, uh, I, I wrote a blog today around the bullet train that we're all on in that we get a bit of momentum and we catch a bit of quote unquote success. We make a little bit of impact and suddenly you're just on this train, which if you don't stop and think about it and question it, you can end up just again in a cycle and almost on a constant treadmill where you feel like you have to keep up appearances just to fuel this. And I wrote uh, in the blog, why, why do we, need to impact more people? Why do we have to double our growth? Why do we have to reach more people? What What is it all for? And I don't have the answers either. This is something I'm, <laughs> this is the journey I'm on at the moment. But I was thinking about how in many cases, a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about this. They don't, they just get caught of it. And it's when I was speaking to the more seasoned people, more seasoned veterans who've achieved a lot of entrepreneurial success and you speak to them and they're still in that in that cycle and they're not happy. And I and I often wonder like why why is this the case? What is what is happening? I think there's a, a case for just stopping and asking yourself what it is that it's it's really all for. And the other the, the interesting bit is when because I I'm, I'm I like building uh purpose driven companies where it there's a real impact that needs to be created. And the question I ponder on is when it's when you feel like you have a purpose and you feel like you have a calling, what can end up happening is as you experience growth, you become so detached from the impact itself that you forget what, it's, what the connection is and you forget uh, what you're actually doing it for. And that's a really interesting yeah. paradigm. But I think it's a constant battle that we feel but because there's a almost like a predetermined entrepreneur's journey you feel like you have to be on that train and you feel like you have to follow suit. When you hit X, you have to do Y. When you get to a certain point, you have to take on investment or whatever that may be. And that's a real interesting paradigm that I'm playing with and speaking about at the moment, just with, just to fuel the conversation and, and see where, see where the answers lie, if there are any.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And I just love that question also about thinking about, yeah. I mean, why do we need to impact more people? Um are we just doing it because that's what people say we should do?
1: Yeah. Like, is, is, is the people you're impacting around you not enough? Or do you yeah, need to impact right. 7 billion people? It's just an interesting paradigm uh, to think about.
0: Yeah. So we actually just brought up your daily blog, which I really love um, that you have that going on as a project. Um, and what I find really striking about it is that you write in it every single day, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Every morning. It's the first thing I do is, Mm -hmm. is write on my blog. It's as of today, it's 30 days and it's now become a, it's, it's become a habit. So it's only 30 days old. It's not, it's not something that I've done for too long. It came out of, um, it came out of around Christmas time. I was just thinking about my writing itself and I was, I was writing, I was starting to write my second book and I was like, when I, when I'm not writing a book or if I'm not writing an article, I'm not really writing. I'm just waiting for that time to do it. And I thought, if I'm calling myself a writer, I need to, I need to do this every day. And I want to see what happens. Cause I always know if I write regularly, it gets better and better and better. And rather than waiting for the interest, inspiration to strike, your body just starts to program inspiration to come into your day at a certain point. And creativity just starts to come in an abundance because your body's like, Oh, it's time to be creative now. So I started doing this uh, on the 1st of January and uh, it's now just become very habitual. And I just talk about things like creativity, uh, high performance, entrepreneurship. I I mean, dabbling in like a little bit of a few fiction tales to try and tell a message. And it's just getting very interesting because every day it's like a little challenge to create something short that hopefully uh, can create some level of impact. Um, But more than anything, just sharpen the skill and just really refine uh, the process of of writing and I find myself now about 30 days in constantly thinking of ideas for the blog thinking oh what can I write for the blog but and it's now just there's just a creative machine that's constantly churning and as a, a, you're a creative yourself right and you know that you can either wait for that that magic moment to strike you and those those yeah. two days do come but a lot of the times you just have that period of uh, you've almost got to just force it to come haven't you? you've got to just do the work and let, let the inspiration come. So that's been really interesting to do.
0: Yeah. And I would say that by devoting yourself to a daily practice, as you are doing, you're actually increasing the amount that inspiration can just strike.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's more chances at it. And I, I firmly believe that everyone is, everyone is a creative at heart. The reason why, there's a reason why, when you're a kid, you can make sandcastles, you can draw these amazing paintings, and you can play these weird tunes because you're a creative. <laughs> but what happens is when you go to school, and later, more especially when you go to work, that creativity gets stifled and it gets suppressed, mm-hmm. and we don't train that creativity muscle anymore. So then, when people think, "Oh, I'm not a creative. I don't have any ideas," but just like your biceps, just like your, whatever it may be, you got to train it like a muscle and you got to train it progressively and, and and regularly. So for anyone listening who thinks, oh, I'm not a creative person or I want to be more creative, just do it every day. Challenge yourself to come up with something creative every single day and you'll be surprised how all of a sudden you're the creative person. And uh, I think everyone, um, again, owes it to themselves to do so because creativity is fun.
0: I. I stand behind everything you just said 100%. And I also love that um, you've made this project small and accessible enough so that you can do it every day. It's not like you're forcing yourself to write five pages. You know, you just allow yourself to write these beautiful, inspired, but relatively short posts. Um, And I also have to say they're just beautifully written. They're so poetic and well-written. So compliments to you. Oh,
1: Thank you. That means a lot. I think that's an important point though, is you don't want to make anything you do. This is, this comes back to even like your physical self-care. You don't want to make anything overwhelming for yourself because then you start talking yourself out of it every day. When you don't feel like it, you talk yourself out of it. It's like when I, I have a journaling practice as well, which I do just before my writing, but it's not, I'm not writing pages and pages. I I say to myself, I just need to write two to three lines. And most cases, I end up only writing like five lines and that's it. That That's good for me. It's just a small little brain dump to start the day. But I know what I need to do is write a line or so. And that low barrier to entry enables you to keep something going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say that once you do it, you're filled with a feeling of accomplishment. So you're inspired to go back and do it again and create more.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's a positive cycle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So actually, while we're on the topic of your writer self, and I know we already spoke about it a little bit before, but you wrote this incredible book. I'd like for you to share a little bit more about the book for anybody who might be interested in reading it.
1: Of course. Yeah. So the, the, the biggest point about the book is, yes, it's in the fitness section, but there's no diet plan and there's no training plan. And I was very intentional about this because the world doesn't need another diet plan and the world doesn't need another training plan. There's, there's millions of them around the world and they're fueling the multi-billion pound industry that I'm in constantly allowing people to search for a new thing. Instead, what I decided to talk about was the journey of how do you get into shape? But more importantly, how do you stay in shape? How do you do that? So you never have to go back to another dieting plan. And, playing, and I wrote about the long game. I wrote about the the journey of starting from a place of chaos and a place of where you may have been triggered by something to a place where you have control of your body and you're educated enough to uh, continue to improve your body. And that's the biggest USP for the book. If you want to call it that is, is that it's not a diet and training book. It's around what goes into making this a lifestyle for, for, for life. And I was very deliberate about not having any training or nutrition plans because I didn't want to add another another one to keep to collect dust on the shelf I wanted something to be more actionable so people can start working through what the what has always held them back from taking taking control of their bodies and in many cases it always comes down to something I refer to in the book as the muck it's it's mm. the it's the things in your past the demons in your past that you may be fueling with vices such as alcohol, drugs, fast food, whatever it may be, and you haven't yet dealt with them or processed them. And it's really about when, when you create non, when you create accountability around certain non-negotiables, such as, okay, I'm going to walk X amount, or I'm going to train X amount, I'm going to um, eat in a certain way. When you create an accountability around that and you create a level of, not restriction, but a level of um, control, what ends up happening is you expose certain things in your life. You realize that when you're stressed, your automatic default is to reach for the biscuits. But when you create control around that, then it's like, Oh wait, I didn't realize I had that association. Cause it's crazy how much if this is subconscious, we just, we have this wiring that often comes from childhood of when this happens, I'll do this. Or when uh, I'm feeling like this, I will do this. And these associations just become so subconscious and so hardwired that it's only when we create some level of, of uh, accountability on certain things that we then realize what we were doing before. We realize that the behaviors and the, the 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 destructive behaviors that we were we were having. So that's what I talk about in the book and how you can uh, overcome these and and uh, start to work through because that's not an easy process. And the reason why people end up falling out of shape in the first place is because of their inability to deal with things that are going on in their mind. I always say the body is a representation of the mind. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so long as the, the body is being um, looked after in a healthy way, then that's always the case. Of course, there's the other way where people can use the body as a crutch. And that's in a that's probably a discussion whereby over-exercise, over-dieting yeah. becomes an issue. So it's important that there's a healthy, sustainable approach. And one thing I talk about is, the shape of your life isn't the same as being in shape for life. You don't have to be at uh, your absolute leanest all the time, all, all year round. That's not the goal. The goal is to feel, look, and perform your best together. And that's not going to be the same as where you always look your best. And that detachment is really important for people to break out of that cycle because there's a misperception that you've can only uh, you only, only done well if you stay absolutely lean year round. But that's not that's healthy. And that's not a healthy place to be mentally either. There needs to be that detachment from there to where do I function best? Where do I feel energetic? When do I perform at my best? When am I not thinking about food? When you're at that point and that sweet spot, then you've cracked the code. And those two are different points.
0: I love that. I feel like that's such an important distinction to make. And yeah, it just goes back to also um, just taking a more... Holistic approach to fitness, so not just focusing on your physical, but other aspects of your being as well.
1: It's just taking your time with it and not realizing you have to rush. Spend time on on this and learn about everything, and you'll be surprised how. Yes, it might take you a little bit longer, but you won't have to do it again. Do it once and and do it for life.
0: Goes back to the journey.
1: Exactly, you've got to be on the journey.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. I'd love to hear just a little bit about your creative process of writing the book. What did that look like? How long did it take you? How, especially because you're doing so many other things in your life, you're, you're running a company and um, you know, you have your personal life. So how did you create the creative space to write this, this book?
1: So everyone has a, a certain time of the day where they're most creative and they're most, they're functioning at their best. For me, it's uh, for me. It's in the morning. It's when I wake up, and then the sort of three to four hours after that, I'm at my best. So for me, carving that out, that time out to for all my creative work is the first point. When it comes to the book, uh, I've, the book, I realized that everyone has a different process with writing it. Some people like to do a little bit over months and months and months. Uh, other people spend ages planning it and then just doing it all at once. I was definitely the latter, so I spent a long time planning. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And then I remember just thinking one day as I, now it's time. And I remember writing my first draft within about three weeks. Uh, wow. It was very, very fast because it all just came out, but I'd spent yeah. ages thinking about it. But then the iteration process took a long time. So the editing <laughs> process was very, very hard. I think the easiest bit, having just done another draft for a book, which again took me, I think two and a half, three weeks. That, that's actually the easy bit because you're just getting everything out of your head yeah The hard bit then is how do I make sure I've got a succinct message that flows, isn't repetitive, speaks to the reader, is written well, and that editing process takes a long time. So what I did is I wrote the first draft, took a break from it, edited it, then I seek some feedback from 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 uh some from fellow colleagues and and friends. then I went back into editing mode. And then when I went into that editing mode, it was, I remember the book that we have that you've read, it was completely different on the first draft to the second draft. Like there was, a, there was this chapter structure completely changed. Uh, it was unrecognizable book. Then I had another round of test readers, which was sort of like fine tuning. And then I spent like time about a month, just reading each line out loud and trying to get, you know, the Hemingway, um, the Hemingway <laughs> editor, I was using that thing to to simplify language and, so the iteration process is long for me. I, I'm good at I spend a long time at the planning stages, and then I'm very good at almost vomiting the words out. And then the iteration is is the long the long process. Cool. So that's the way I, I do it on a macro basis, and then on a micro day to day, it's it's the morning, uh, it's planning in advance what I want to write when, and then just just going through it.
0: Awesome. When is your next book coming out?
1: Uh, I've yet to got a date on it. I I think. Um, Quarter quarter four this year, so okay. towards the end, yeah, towards the end. Are
0: you are you already giving away what it's about, or is it a uh, surprise? It, yeah,
1: less so. It's evolving quite often at the moment. So while I've written a draft on it, it's going to dive deeper into the the philosophy of of um, really looking at the intricacies and, and the wider scope of what it takes for people to stay in shape for life, um, and look, but looking at the real. Um, deep psychological elements involved with it so it's going to be a very more of a deep dive into certain areas that the first book may have just touched over Um, but again really uh, tapping into the psychology because i think when it comes to this journey uh, the physical element is actually quite easy it's the psychology that's that's difficult
0: Right, because, like you say, it's and, and you also talk about this in your first book how it's very easy, for example, after doing a twelve-week plan to see physical results. But if you really want to stay in the shape of your life, like you say, um, you have to go much deeper.
1: And you have to get used to not seeing tangible results on a regular basis. Right, you have to get used to just enjoying doing this, and that's a big shift. It it comes from when you start something like this, and a lot of this can be applied to anything you do in life. So when you, when you start something like this, there's always a trigger moment that creates a sense of urgency. I need to change what I am now. But then that sh- the ideal is that that shifts towards, actually, this is really enjoyable and I want to make this a way of life. That's the shift that we need to have more people going through so that there's, it's like, I don't have to do this. I, I want to do it. Because after all, this is a privilege. The fact that we can take care of ourselves and we can choose what we eat and that we can go to the gym and that we can go for walks and whatever it may be, it's a privilege, right? We don't have to do any of this. This is all by choice. So firstly, getting rid of that victim mentality that so many people have around, oh, I have to eat this. Or I have to, have to, uh, <laughs> that really annoys you when I hear that because you don't yeah, have to I do anything. This is a privilege to be able to care about your your. Your health, there's many people in the world who don't get the option to maximize their health and maximize their physical health. We have that privilege. And if you have it, you owe it to yourself to take care of yourself.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, the same can be applied to the creative process as well. Yeah. Um, Pivoting the conversation a little bit. So, one thing I always like to do on this podcast is to give the listeners tools for tapping into their peak creative potential. So I'm just curious, what kind of tools do you use in your day-to-day to really fuel and support your creativity?
1: I think there's a few things with routine that really works. Uh, for me, I have a pretty much identical routine every morning. It's nothing long, it's nothing exciting, but it's, it's literally wake up, brush my teeth, come into the uh, kitchen, I have the same a glass of water in the same place. I put the mm-hmm. kettle on, but to and then I walk to a specific point on my sofa. I sit there, my journal is on top of my laptop. I'll do the few lines, I'll open my laptop and it's open with whatever I'm working on. And then I hit play on a certain uh, song. I'll just break that down for you a bit more. Ah, um, but because the bit before the glass of the water, the kettle on, which is the indicator, of the coffee all of that stuff is just automatic because each of them is a signal that creativity is coming. It's telling my body, get ready for some creativity. And then when <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Op- <laughs> when I open the laptop, I have this, I have a song uh, by Nocturne's uh, by Chopin. It's called Chopin by Nocturne's. Yeah. No, no, sorry. It's called Nocturne's by Chopin, uh, the, the yeah. pianist yeah. <laughs> um, in B flat minor. So it's a very specific one. And I just press, once I press play on that, it tells my brain it's time to be creative. And I just play on loop constantly. And after like a few minutes, I forget it's even playing. It's just going on in the background on loop. And I think that's a really good creativity hack for anyone. Not that specific song, but anything which allows you to just tap into the subconscious and allow your subconscious to just kind of slip away. I like binaural beats sometimes. They work quite well. But anything which is repetitive and anything that which kind of churns works really, really well. Um, and I think the environment plays a thing. So like, oh, there's, there's one point I'm just looking at it now, that there's a plain point in the sofa yeah. that I'll only do that work in. I won't do any other work in that place because to me that's only for deep creativity work. The rest of the time I'll move around the flat and cause I work from home and I'll move around the flat and working in different places. But for I think environment plays a good important part because it signals to the brain that uh, certain things are going to happen. So for anyone listening, I think setting your own sort of creativity routine doesn't need to be anything exciting. It could just literally be a song or a place you sit or something you drink before or during. You'd be surprised how these little things can tell your subconscious that it's time
0: so funny that you're saying these things because just yesterday I recorded a solo cast where I was talking about my creativity rituals and I was talking about how one of my rituals is lighting a candle when I do creative work and how that signals to my brain that I'm gonna dive into creative mode so it's just so interesting that you're basically saying the same thing right now just with your own rituals really cool
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. I think there's a lot of commonalities in in creatives who who do these little things which make which allow that inspiration to strike just when you want it, because it's not it's not going to come magically. But if you keep doing these things, your brain's like, actually, now's the time to be creative. Let's get the inspiration going, and you'll be surprised what comes.
0: Yeah, totally. And like you say, the cool thing about these tools or rituals is that they can be really simple. They don't mm-hmm. have to be. You don't have to do this complex. You know, whatever it is, you can put on a, a song or sit in, on a certain place in your couch and, and that signals that it's time for creativity to happen.
1: You know, one of Mark Manson's books, I'm not sure which one it is, but he talks about a novelist who said that the best way to to write more is to just focus on 200 crappy words a day. And that's been another really good behavior to pick up. And that's, that's sort of my blog. It's that 200 crappy words a day in that If you just aim for 200 crappy words every single day, you'll be surprised what happens because you might stumble upon something golden in that. But the practice of just doing it every single day will allow you to find those nuggets that you've been actually looking for. So those 200 crappy words could turn into 500 amazing pieces of prose, but it has to start somewhere. And that that low barrier to entry again can help you get into flow state and create some magic.
0: I so agree with that. Actually, my creativity coaching training, one of the little tools we learned was that um, you can tell yourself that it's okay if this is going to be small and crappy. And it's funny, like a lot of people, I think when they first hear that, they think, oh, that sounds so negative and disempowering. But it really works because like you're saying, you're lowering the barrier to entry and those Two hundred crappy words might turn into something golden.
1: Yeah, I always think about there's a uh, a, a U.S. rapper uh, Tupac Shakur, who I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard of. And at the age of, by the age of 25 years old, he produced like nearly a thousand songs, which most some of them had not been released. A couple of movies, oh. uh, I think twelve albums, which seven, five seven of them got produced uh, after his death. Now, these, these facts may be slightly wrong, but it's there or thereabouts. But the point is, by the age of 25, he'd done that much output. Now, we only know about maybe 50, 25 to 50 of his big hits. But think about how many songs he made. Maybe, maybe hundreds of them were crap. Probably they weren't even released, but the output was so high. His ability to be creative was so consistent that he was able to produce the hits that have left him as regarded as one of the best uh hip hop artists of all time but had he not had that creative output do you think he would have created such amazing uh, remarkable tunes even steve jobs if you look at steve jobs he's he's produced some like if you look at next do you remember that product he created called next which was like a bloated very very like 10,000 pound pc or something crazy which was so expensive no one bought it it didn't it didn't really get anywhere But he produced some things which just didn't work but then he also produced things which changed industries but his his pursuit was in the 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 craft of creativity he just happened to create amazing things along the way but we only remember the amazing things not the not the things which didn't make a splash i
0: love that i love that so before we dive into our quickfire round um where can the listeners learn more about y- you and your work
1: so the best way to to find me is to go to akashfagela.com and that's where you can read my daily writings and uh, for more work in my company you can go to Uh those two websites should should be probably be the best ways and then on instagram i'm at akashfagela so just my name and yeah, there's plenty of work to explore. There's a podcast. There's a scorecard. There's all sorts of things you can um, you can check out.
0: Awesome! Very cool. Are you ready for the quick fire round? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Question number one: What is your favorite creativity inspiring snack? Coffee. Coffee?
1: Yeah, if that's a snack. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah. Black coffee.
0: I love that. Do you have a specific type of coffee you like?
1: Uh, I. I, I'm not yet at the stage of understanding between the, the differentiators. I, I have a, shop, a local shop that I, I get all my coffee from. So it's, it's independent coffee. But I do have a, I use a grinder. So I get the beans, use a grinder. I have an AeroPress. So I make that into a little oh, sort of yeah. um, ritual. I've heard of this, the V60, which I've yet to explore. And apparently that's the the next level of coffee in terms of the machinery you use. Uh, oh, but, wow. Yeah, so right now I want to, I, I grind the beans and then I, I put them in the AeroPress and that's actually part of my little ritual that I have uh, before I start. So yeah, coffee. Me
0: too. <laughs>
1: really? Same thing with the yeah. AeroPress?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Like the French press, right? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. Press it down. yeah you're pressing it down.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: wow. Very, <laughs> Very cool. Um, actually one of the questions was when is your peak creative time, but you already answered that earlier.
1: Yeah. Between six and 10.
0: Chocolate or coffee?
1: Uh, chocolate. So I'm a, I'm a massive dark chocolate fan. Okay. I'm assuming you've got a similar sort of palette. So dark chocolate, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love black coffee, but dark chocolate is something I have daily as well. And for that, I'm much more of a snob when it comes to the types of dark chocolate and the percentages and the, um, the origins. My favorite one is, is a specific one that we get in the UK from Waitrose. Uh, it's single origin dark chocolate from in India uh 72 percent, but it's it's amazing um there's a few brands I, I really enjoy i like montezuma's dark chocolate um but yeah i'd have to go with dark chocolate there
0: wow you're the i think you're the first person who said chocolate really okay so cool. yeah, but i don't no
1: cool. milk, not, not milk chocolate or candy bars or anything like that like it's got to be good yeah, yeah it's got to be good dark chocolate
0: <laughs> yeah actually the other day i had this dark chocolate bar with um it was a hundred percent okay yeah, yeah with um but it had these cacao nibs in it and it's so interesting because I've had 100% before and I thought it was it was like too much like I've had 99 and that's been okay or good but then 100 has always felt too overwhelming but having those cacao nibs somehow made all the difference and it was so good
1: you must get some pretty good chocolate out there
0: well Switzerland Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can yeah. I say
1: I remember my parents went to Switzerland a few years ago and they brought me back some dark chocolate. And I remember, I think I finished it in about a day or so. It was just unbelievable. <laughs> it was unbelievable yeah, dark chocolate.
0: There's some good dark chocolate here, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, what kind of music stirs your creativity?
1: Uh, so piano classical music, that specific song, if anyone wants to try it, uh, Nocturne's B-flat minor by Chopin. That's my absolute favorite song. Uh, But I also really like binaural beats. I think you can just literally type it in YouTube and just type in, there's one called a super intelligence binaural beats that I really like. And again, they're like three hour playlists. So it's perfect. You don't have to worry about changing the song. So those are my, those are my creativity ones. I don't like anything with music, with, with words.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I find it kind of distracting unless I'm doing something like editing a a graphic or something where I don't need to think about words, but for writing Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and finally, what does creativity mean to you?
1: I think it's a, a form of expression. To me, it's a form of expression. It's a way of coming up with something out of nothing, and putting it out in the world, and changing someone's life with it. Hopefully, I think it's it's a yeah it's an expression more than anything. And if you read, if you if in your best creative work for everyone, it's always a reflection of who you are at your, at your very core and what you really believe in. And I think that can only be tapped into once you take away the conscious conditioning that we have and really tap into the subconscious. And you can get into that when you go into flow, you know, when the, 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 the time in your creative space where, you don't really know what's going on around you. If someone talks to you, you're just like, mm, because you, you can't really function what's going on in the outer world. And you're just in your own space and time f- stands still a bit. That's, that's what creativity is all about. And from, the, from that, that feeling of flow is when your ability to express yourself comes out and really understand who you are. And that's when you can, you can create your best work.
0: I love that. That's such a beautiful answer to that question. What about you? What about me? Yeah. <laughs> wow. You put me on the spot. Um, Rapid fire. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh wow. I love this. I'm being challenged. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny. I actually have a very um, similar answer to that question. Um, but for me, creativity means receiving inspiration, either from within ourselves or from something outside of ourselves, or maybe a combination of both. And then putting that inspiration into physical form, which actually kind of ties back to your work again, because we we do live in this physical world. So I think we're so fortunate as human beings, because we get to, um, we get to create, um, it's not just about us walking around feeling inspired, but we actually get to go out and, um, and make something with that inspiration.
1: The intangible drives the tangible.
0: Yes. Yes. I lo- Did you just come up with that now?
1: It's something I think about regularly. That
0: I love that. I
1: wrote, it, so I wrote it yesterday to someone I was describing, I was describing the shift in the journey of physical journey. And I said to them, The the intangible will drive the tangible. And I think what you explained there is exactly that. The intangible thinking and flow state and inspiration allows it to come out tangibly.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think part of our creative journey is also figuring out what barriers are standing in our way that are keeping us from transforming it into the tangible
1: what are some of your barriers?
0: One big challenge for me is that I'm always tempted to do way more than is necessarily constructive for me. So I have a lot of different passions and I'm still on a journey of discovering how I can find space for all of those different passions in a way that feels sustainable for me.
1: So is that, is that uh, around focus and alignment?
0: How do you
1: mean? You said that you've got quite a few different mm-hmm. things you want to be creative about and it's finding mm-hmm. what what you really want to go into. Is that
0: yeah, and I think also so I'm pretty sure about the things that I want to dedicate myself to, but then finding like how can I um devote myself to these things each week in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming and like I'm just depleting myself, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I think we all face, uh, face that battle or a a battle as a creative and we all have our own thing to, to battle against. I know mine is around, I I think I should be doing that. So I'll do it that way. Where what about what I actually want to do? And that's, that only really comes when you really access that, that flow state, because then you really get to what you want to do. So the challenge is always, how do I override the, oh, you should be doing it that way. You should be saying this. You should be doing that. Well, no. What about this? Because this could have a bigger impact.
0: I have the same challenge as well. And also, similarly to that, at the end of the workday, I have a tendency to always think about all the things I didn't accomplish that day. And that can feel very disempowering. And um, the other day I was on a call with my creativity coaching mentor, and she was saying how instead of thinking about everything that you didn't do, telling yourself what I did was exactly what I was supposed to do. And I just I love that switch that just really resonated with me.
1: I like that. Yeah, it's it's the consistency in the long game that's going to pay off.
0: Totally. Totally. And also trusting that even if you just do a little bit every day or every week, just like you with your, your daily blog, how that's already so powerful. Like you don't have to sit there for three hours every day in order to call yourself a writer, right?
1: Also compounds. I've, I've learned that once you get into that rhythm, you can gather momentum and you'll find that your ability to fine tune that creativity that you really want to give gets sharper because you've had more practice and more opportunities to create what you want to do. And especially with like, for example, with the blog, like I want no real outcome tied to it. Like there's nothing, it doesn't, there's nothing for my business. It's nothing to do with anything really. So it's an even better opportunity to just find what I really want to dive into. And that's been interesting in itself. And I think that's why, or well, us as creatives need to have that regular um, consistency and rhythm because it allows that creative focus to come into alignment.
0: Absolutely. And I also feel like when you dedicate yourself to a creative practice regularly, you're also more likely to suddenly start getting. I mean, I don't know if you get this for your blog, but I could imagine that you do. That sometimes throughout the day, you might suddenly get a burst of ins- inspiration, like "Oh, this is what I want to write about tomorrow," or um, yeah, you kind of open the floodgates for inspiration to move in more easily.
1: Absolutely. Instead of instead of waiting for uh, heaven's angels to come down and <laughs> exactly. tap you on the shoulder with the next best idea, it yeah, would, it would just come to you when you're on a walk, or and that's another actually. Um, Another really powerful tool for a creative is unplugged walks and walks where you go into nature or walks where you're not plugged into anything like a podcast or music. You're just with your thoughts. And that's a really powerful way to not only process creative problems, but also to come up with new creative ideas because sometimes when you're when you're just sitting at at your laptop for example you may hit a blocker and the best thing to do is actually probably just stop and to go for a walk and that's probably something we can all do more of but when you walk your body is just in a in a rhythm and you're not thinking you don't have to think about walking you just walk don't you so what it allows you to do if you're unplugged so you're not tuned into anything it allows you to tap into your subconscious a lot more so you can let the ideas flow and you can also process um you can process certain problems that you may be facing with your creativity. Like, if you're, for example, you may have a chapter in your book, and you're like, "How do I write this bit?" and "How do I get over this certain thing?", and it may not come to you if you just stick with the chapter. If you go for a long walk unplugged, the what starts off with a lot of messy overwhelm in your head, and it can feel like everything's jumbled up, can suddenly start streamlining, and by the end of the walk, you've got the you've got the the script to to ultimately go off and write. And that's another really powerful tool that we can all make use of.
0: Absolutely. I've actually been talking about walks a lot recently. And I love this term unplugged walks. I've never heard it before, but I think I think it's awesome. And it's actually there's there's some funny synchronicity here because I feel like lately a lot of my walks have been a bit more plugged. Like I've been listening to podcasts and things, but actually today, right before I sat down to record with you. I had this impulse to take an unplugged walk. So it's just so funny that you bring it up.
1: It's quite a scary thing to do sometimes because we have to be alone with our thoughts and we have to detach ourselves from constantly being connected, which is what we're so used to doing. But what that can do is when you're already connected, you never have an opportunity to process and to actually understand what you want to be creating. Like some of my, I'm a big fan of uh, walking meetings and, I don't like um, speaking on the phone if I'm not walking because I always find that when you're doing these things, uh, when, when you're trying to come up with ideas, especially with other people, you can do it so much better when you're both moving and, and a lot more creativity comes out of it. So that's another thing I think uh, is worth mentioning around. And if you look at a lot, a lot of the, um, a lot of the best thinkers and writers and philosophers, they were massive fans of of walking. They're massive fans of long, walk, long walking. And, uh, a lot of them are also uh write their books while speaking and this is something I, I can't i'm not very good at it um they they dictate their they dictate because but it just goes to show that there's there's many ways to do this there's many ways to be creative it's just about finding yours but there's a, com- a lot of commonalities as well which we have found already just speaking here that uh, align very closely